0: Borderland Training Bites, the official podcast for the Borderland Training Lifestyle in 15 minutes or less, with today's host, Nathan Wagar, talking about dealing with a mixed martial arts practitioner on the street. What's up guys? This is Borderland Training Bites, the official podcast of Borderland Training. I'll be your host for today, Nathan Wagar. And we're going to be talking about probably the most frequently asked question to me, and it is, how do you deal with someone on the street that knows mixed martial arts? First off, I'd like to point out that the vast majority of mixed martial arts fighters, legitimate mixed martial arts practitioners, are not going to be going around starting fights like this. And the reason is simple. They're wholeheartedly devoted to it. They're working on training. They're working on proper diet. They're working on going to bed at a decent hour when crime does not happen because they are focused on getting proper rest and recuperation for their next training. This is true of any athlete at a high level in boxing, in grappling, whatever. And to think otherwise is really a disservice to some of the top athletes on the planet. That's one. Two is that yes, there is a legitimate issue with a lot of people that have maybe a month or two of training out there. Out here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I want to say it's number one or number two for the most per capita martial arts studios, gyms, etc. And with the mentality and the culture out here, there is an issue with people that go around, they train for a month or two or very sporadically at a gym and they're kind of a punk. So you'll see them trying to start issues with people. But- The thing to remember is these are not guys with a high level of skill. So while they can be a real issue, they're not the honey badger that they think they are. So that's something to keep in mind. And the final point before this conversation even really gets off the ground is point three. And that is that even if he only has a couple months of training, he trains sporadically, that's more training than you. And for all intents and purposes, that's like comparing zero to any number. He is exponentially ahead of the game on you. People typically want an answer to this question and they don't want to hear that they have to train. You need to, as a person, just as a basic human being existing on this planet, be able to handle yourself. And if you don't, well, we'll get into that in just a bit. But to think that you're just going to handle some MMA fighter, you're just going to pull out your gun, you're just going to do X, Y, or Z, it does a disservice to reality. Because the fact is, that guy has trained in man-on-man combat. If you haven't, then you're going to have to heavily try and manipulate this game. And that's just a lot of things to expect in the heat of the moment. So those are the three points. First point is you're probably not going to face a real MMA fighter. Point two is you're probably going to deal with a guy that has a bit of skill. And point three is that bit of skill is still more than the skill that you don't have. So you need to get out there and have a base so that you know what you're dealing with. You know what real pressure feels like. And those are just the three basic things I'm going to say before we even get started. Now there's a lot of ways we can skin this cat. A lot of the answers I'm going to give have carryover and crossover with a lot of my other materials. So I'm just going to give a couple basic concepts. One is the broad concept of controlling initial starting conditions. And the second concept is that of equalizers. And we're going to see how both play off of each other. So let's go to point one, controlling initial starting conditions. In chaos theory, the point is to show that even when there's no time or change, just in the abstract when you're doing math, because that's basically all chaos theory is, is abstract math. The idea is to show that even when you know the deterministic nature of a system, and all that means is I know exactly what can happen. Let's say there's only two options. Even knowing that in a chaotic system, the math says that given enough units of measurement, the system will spiral into more chaos and unpredictability. Chaos just meaning complexity of behavior. Now, complex adaptive systems display elements of chaos, but it plays out in time, so more things can go wrong as the different agents and aspects of the system adapt to each other. Now that's a lot of technical language, so we're going to break this down and explain how this applies. When you're in an altercation with a mixed martial art opponent, or any opponent for that matter, there are a lot of variables. If you are facing an MMA fighter, then the game, the system, in one sense is fairly deterministic. You know the outcome. He knows more training than you, and he's going to beat your ass. Those are the facts. Now here's the catch. The MMA fighter is better at a subset within that system, which is two people facing off from across a the ring. They go toward each other. They're aware of what's happening, and the fight kicks off. Now, the MMA fighter is the best at what he does in that regard, in that arena, in that subset of the system. But reality in our day-to-day lives are a larger system. Contact management or dealing with other people, contacts, starts well before you even meet that person. You choose the time and the place and the flow of where you go throughout the day. You choose the bar or the club or the library that you go to. This all dictates the person that you are likely to deal with. Up to the point where you're right next to the person about to get into a shoving match. Part of my problem with the term pre-contact management is that it assumes a certain distance. And I think that sequentially based attitude toward a fight or an altercation is actually dangerous and off point. Especially if you are not as trained as the person that you're going against. Instead of set phases, we want to think of spirals of overlap, if you will. We want to think of it as a continuum. So not only do I want to control the initial aspects of the system, but nothing says that I have to stay within that narrow system that the MMA fighter is dominant in. I can start the system from way back out. If I don't have training, then I don't even go to a bar where that guy is or people like him. And if I do, I use the time-honored method that people all over the world use, and that's to bring a bunch of friends. So control those initial conditions from as far out in the system as you can. Broaden that system out of his lane of expertise so that you can stack the deck in your favor. And that can mean combining point one with point two. You also want to have that equalizer and present it as quickly as possible. And that equalizer could be that you just have a bunch of friends with you. It's that simple. Now, if we zoom in a bit further in the continuum... Setting initial conditions could be placing yourself in a position that uses the environment to your advantage. If you're facing a championship kickboxer and you think stuff's about to pop off, if you're behind a bar counter, then he's just a bad boxer. If I'm within arm's reach of him, then I need to have my hands in a position where I can intercept his shots that might come off or I can initiate a first strike. And I'm a big fan of covers or some kind of crash technique or pensador or elbow shield from Muay Thai or whatever it is that you want to use, but something where even if you're being defensive, you're being offensive and getting off a really hard shot with all your body weight behind it. And those are all ways to set initial conditions within touching distance. Dialogue can play a part. Positioning can play a part. Distraction can play a part. Deescalation can play a part. All of these things are broadening the system out of his area of expertise, which is what? Which is two people squared off contractually agreeing to fight. Now, once the physical aspect kicks off, there's other ways to control initial conditions. How so? Well, let's look at stand-up, clinch, and ground, and they're, they're part of a network. They're three nodes that are all connected. So you have stand-up as one circle that's connected to clinch that's another circle that's connected to ground that's another circle, like a little network. Whether you want to stay standing or go to the ground or not be taken to the ground, clinch is that node, that circle that's right in the middle. If you control the clinch, then you control the fight. So whether you want to stay standing and prevent the takedown, or whether you want to manipulate the clinch to initiate a takedown, the point is that if you control the clinch, you are controlling the physical encounter. Now, how does that control initial conditions mid-fight? Well, from a technical standpoint, all these techniques have to start from somewhere, whether it's a punch, a kick, a grip, what have you. They have to start from the core. In the clinch, you're able to stuff these shots before they even get off the ground. And so things like timing, footwork, superior attributes are less likely to come into play. And so you're controlling those initial conditions from a technical standpoint. So whether I want to stay standing and mobile, whether I want to access a tool or equalizer, or whether I want to take it to the ground and achieve a position of control from there, clinch is that node that needs to be controlled. Now, I know what a lot of people are thinking, and this is a legitimate question. Well, what if clinch is where he wants to be? What if he wants to take me down? Well, here's something to keep in mind. First, I can tell you that clinch is the most demanding range, and it is not because it's so easy to dominate. The fact is that clinch is very difficult, and the reason for that is that it takes a lot of training to be able to pull off several attacks in the clinch effectively. It doesn't take as much training to be able to negate those attacks. You can't use your hardest shots in clinch and it really is a place of transition you are looking to either take the person to the ground or use that transition from clinch to stand up to get off your hard shots there are standing positions of control like a harness from the back but it's just that it's a position of control it's not a clinch per se so i can take two people i can take one and teach him some basic attacks in clinch and i can take another guy and teach him some basic defenses And the first guy is going to have a hell of a time trying to get off some hard shots on the second guy. So if you're in the clinch with somebody who has a small bit of skill, it's not the magic death bullet that everybody thinks it is. You have a shot. And this brings us to point two, and that is equalizers. Whenever possible, we want to combine point two with point one as early in the system as possible. And that could be as easy as having a weapon. And if you don't want to have a weapon or you can't have a weapon, then you have a bunch of buddies. It's that simple. Either disengaged or in the clinch is also the place where you would want to access your own equalizer. But there are equalizers within the clinch empty-handed itself, and these are grips. I am huge on grips. Grips is what makes jiu-jitsu versus no-gi more for the little guy. Grips slow the game down. They give you more leverage. They're more forgiving because if you lose a no-gi grip, you're done. You have to get that grip back. It's a lot harder to lose a grip in gi. And it gives you a lot more control over the person. You can take a guy that has barely any training and teach him a proper grip with clothing. And he can give a more experienced guy fits. Now, what grip am I talking about? Well, specifically, I like gripping the belt. The t-shirt can tend to rip after a while. I don't think it's as big an issue as some people say. But the fact is, t-shirts can rip. The belt or just grabbing the waistline of the pants and bunching that up and then sucking your elbow into your hip. That low body lock slash underhook style grip can give another judo or jujitsu guy fits because he has to devote everything to breaking it, especially things like belt grips. So imagine when you're throwing hits into the mix with someone who is used to Nogi grips, which are easily stripped off. And most MMA guys, because of the clothing that they wear or don't wear, are not used to dealing with those clothing grips. So when you do something like an underhook grip where you're gripping the pants and sucking them in, and that gives you even more control than a belt grip, it really causes the other guy fits. It, It breaks him out of his game. It breaks him out of his structure. And that can be the time to access an equalizer or go into your skill set. There's a lot more that could be said, but those are my my basic thoughts on the issue. The first three are that one, you're not going to face a legitimate MMA guy. Two, you're probably going to face somebody that has a minimum of experience. And three, that's still more experienced than you. So you need to have at least some kind of familiarity with that level of pressure and violence. Then we go into the next part. Point one. I want to control the initial conditions of the system and if possible I want to extend that system as far back as possible from his area of expertise otherwise I am most likely to lose point two equalizers whether it's weapons whether it's avoiding places whether it's just going out with a group of people that are gonna keep you out of trouble and are gonna keep the other person away from you or if you're in areas like the clinch You want to utilize things like grips, things that give you leverage, that give you power, and that put you in a position of dominance or at least being able to hang in there and survive. But those are the basic points. I hope that helped. And until next time, train, challenge yourself, and achieve mastery.